Welcome to Rise and Thrive, Conversations for Greatness. We bring you captivating conversations with extraordinary individuals who have conquered challenges, achieved greatness, and are making a positive impact in the world. This is your go-to source for inspiration and motivation. I'm your host, John Merkis. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited to have our guest for today's episode. I've known him for years. I'm thrilled to have him on the show because he's one of the most cheerful, humorous individuals that I've ever encountered. Beyond his infectious positivity and his laughter, he is a veritable treasure trove, try and say that fast, of uh, knowledge and achievement. He's spent an extensive amount of time in the educational system. After graduating from high school, he embarked on an academic journey that included not one, but six university degrees, oh my God, all in a bid to delay entering the uh, real world. Remarkably, he successfully managed to evade the conventional workforce by assuming roles as a university lecturer and eventually rising to the esteemed position of head academic professor. He dedicated a considerable proportion of his life to intensive research and still does, teaching and innovation of cutting edge marketing strategies. He did so at respected academic institutions such as Monash, Kaplan and Southern Cross Universities. In the same way his idol Michael J. Fox could never resist a challenge after being called a chicken, he couldn't resist an offer to move into the private sector when a friend pointed out the classic adage, those who can do, those who can't teach. In a bold move, nine years ago, he ventured into the world of marketing and training by founding his own company. His expertise has been instrumental in assisting renowned organisations like Energy Australia, Ferrari, Oliver Hume, Visa and Cathay Pacific So we can get energy, get a great car, get into some real estate, put some stuff on our card and fly somewhere. Notably, one of his current clients is a global player in the field of research on LSD microdosing for improvement of mental health conditions. It's my pleasure, everyone, to introduce Matt Cordner, or should I say Professor Matt? John? Oh, no, please, no. (laughs) Matt's fine. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Well, I have really enjoyed our conversations in the past, so it's great to be able to share some of the things that we talk about with the audience. And one of the things we've spoken about in the past, which I'd really like your take on again, is how you define success and, and what, sorry, greatness, I was going to say, and success, we'll put them in the same category. And what does that really, what does that mean to you? Hmm. Yeah. Look, I, it's a it's a really good question. It's it's one that you propose um, that uh, a, a, as a part of the podcast, which is which is great. And I I think greatness is actually um, it's an outcome. It's not a process. It's it's an outcome. Uh, and by that, I I think I probably mean that. Uh, it's by virtue of what you manage to do through the course of your life, and um, no one, particularly in Australia, uh, calls themselves someone of, of greatness. Uh, we have a very clear tall, tall poppy syndrome in, in this part of the, the world, don't we, that doesn't allow you to do that. But I do think it is it is for others to say, but I, I think 
there is an internal aspect to greatness as well. And that is when you feel that you've reached a goal or you feel that you've succeeded in in uh, in something that you would like to achieve. Um, one of the things, John, I, I was having a conversation yesterday with somebody mm-hmm. about this, and they mentioned the fact that there is this aspect of, as we get older, and you and I aren't spring chickens anymore, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as we get older, th- there is this expectation that there is a destination that we will arrive at, mm-hmm. perhaps in our 70s or 80s, and go, well... I'm here. I've made it, and and I think one of the things as we got, get older, we start to realise is that um, we never really quite get there. That there's always whenever we arrive at a, a position that we want to be at, whether that be having achieved a goal or an, an age, an age of a certain um, nomination or whatever it is, we we suddenly decide that there's somewhere else we want to go or something else we want to achieve. So that idea of ever achieving greatness, I think, on for, for most of us, um, is an ongoing journey. Mm. I hear what you're saying. And there's a – we can – I'm trying to say we can be great on the way to on the way to greatness. I've um, I've mentioned before in an episode where I was always the old um, uh, be uh, sorry uh, do have be. So I was uh, of the opinion I had to do something to have something to be able to be something, and then I realised I could be I could be that straight away without having to wait. Yes. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I, I one of the questions that I've been grappling with recently mm. is when somebody says when you meet somebody for the first time, they'll often say, Oh, what do you do? And I think how you answer that question is really interesting. Um, what do you do? Do do you define what you do by the job that you hold or do you define it by the way that you affect other people and the way that you commit yourself to your goals or the way that you um, you try to be a source of, of joy and influence for other people. How, how What is it that you do? What, what do you want to be um, known for? But so many of us de- default to giving a job title, don't we? Mm, mm. Yeah, that's right. And it's a really important point that you make. It's, we're more than the job we do or the work we do. If if you're lucky, you can be doing something that you love, which is great, but that's not always available um, to people. Uh, and there's there's ways to take steps to, to, to achieve that. But I really take your point about we list our job title. Hmm. Yeah. We do. And I'm not sure that all parts of the world do do that, but, mm-hmm. but certainly in the industrialised world, that, that's very, very common and very key. Mm. And I wonder if it's time to start rethinking that. Um, because one of the things that, 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 that we certainly uh, teach uh, as, a, as a part of the, the, um, the educational systems that we do uh, is that you actually can no longer separate the you of work and the you at home, Definitely. particularly around values. Mm-hmm. And the, the values that you have at home have to be the values that you have at work. And if they don't, if there is a clash around that, you're really not working uh, at at your optimum. Right, uh, that makes sense because uh, you know some people, you know, we've all worn different masks depending on where we're at. But essentially, you're the same human being walking into the that environment. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you now. Uh, I'd lo- I'd be quite happy to be meeting you at a party because you're a great storyteller. And you have uh, 
explain to me about the power of storytelling, whether it's in a personal or a professional setting. And I just wonder if you could say more about that, that why is that important and um, how would some of our audience, maybe some of the, the things they can think about to uh, have more of that in their lives? Yeah. I have a mantra that, that all marketing is education mm-hmm. and all education is story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by that, I, I, I mean that um, the way to market products and services is not so much to, to, to tell people how great your product is, but to give them a piece of knowledge they didn't have prior to coming across you, you or your product or your service. So um, a lot of the focus of the marketing that we do is around educating people and giving people our best information for free. Um, and that allows us to then... Um, uh, allows us to to give people the tools that they need to do to do whatever they want to do in a marketing sense for themselves or come and talk to us. And and, and the second part of that is is what you're talking about, which is that all, uh, all, all education is story. And when I talk about that, uh, when I mean we're talking principally about uh, stories, I've actually discovered that from being a lecturer. So when I uh, when I have to go and stand in front of a, a room of 200 people on a Friday afternoon, all of which don't want to be there and would rather be anywhere else on a Friday afternoon at the end of the week and want to get out, um, I find that really the best way to, to give... Um, a piece of information that will stick is to tell it in a story. Uh, And I spend a lot of time um, turning valuable information into stories to storify information to get people to remember it. And the the reality of that is that that's exactly how we remember things by we we are geared as humans to be interested in, in each other and, and to, um, to lean in, to hear the end of a story. And uh, if that, story contains some valuable nuggets of information, then people are going to remember that. They'll remember the story more than they'll actually remember the nuggets, but within the story are those nuggets and and that's the gold that they will find. Wow, that makes a lot of sense, uh, especially if you think of... Uh... <laughs> Bless you, mate. Especially when you um, uh, look at how... Uh, Indigenous people in, in years gone by would share knowledge with stories. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. And and again, that's how that uh, uh, storified history has survived um, right. through through the continuous storytelling. And you know, and I, and I think there's there's an an element of entertainment. We all like to be entertained, and mm. the best way to be to learn is to be entertained while you're learning. You told me a story once before and i to be honest i've forgotten the actual moral of the story but one thing i've remembered (laughs) though yeah was that you were working in a pub with your dad (laughs) or a restaurant or something like that (laughs) and i remember it did have a gold nugget in there (laughs) and i'm glad i got you back so i can say can you can you tell me what that and for our audience as well what that is again (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I think, um, well, they're, they're actually, the, my parents, uh, when I was 14, owned a, um, uh, owned a motel with a licensed restaurant. It was one of only two licensed restaurant, 
spots in the township. And uh, there's a couple of stories from this, actually. <laughs> so yeah. I need to be sure I tell the right one. There's, there's, a couple <laughs> of ones, there's a couple of ones that are just funny because <laughs> some rather bizarre things happened. Yep. <laughs> but um, whether there's a moral or not, I, I guess that's up to the... Um, uh, to to the listener, um, yeah. but I think um, one of the one of the ones that um, I often tell is about the fact that my father was a was a particularly funny person, and and he thought that it would be funny if the sommelier of the restaurant was me, um, a fourteen year old who'd never had a drink in his life, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and um, he he really just wanted to give me. A, one of the hardest tasks, which is to keep up to date with with reordering of wines that we ran out of, because it had quite an extensive wine menu, and um, he uh, so that was part of my job. I would go in, count the bottles, and fill in the forms and reorder for for various different from various different wineries around the region. And um, at fourteen, at fourteen, um, so having I was, you know, it's, it's a bit hard to believe, but I, I was the sort of kid who just wouldn't break the rules because that was just my parents would annihilate me so the the only way to judge a good wine for me was by its label um, yeah, right. so so um i would inevitably recommend and order wines that had fabulous labels mm, <laughs> and, um, mm, mm. Um, and what happened was um i decided when one day brown brothers who's a, of course a very uh, a very good uh, Victorian winery decided that they would change their labels, and they moved from a very nice gold and silver, which I thought was a very regal nice, but to a very quirky, sort of colourful. Um, uh, to me, it lost its elegance, <laughs> and, um, um, so I decided to stop having Brown Brothers as our house wine, which of course right. was huge because we sold we sold a lot of um, house mm. wine because. Um, that's the way it worked. And um, this sent Brown Brothers dispatching their finest winemaker to come and meet this sommelier yeah. <laughs> and yeah. ask the question as to why they had changed uh, the house wine and that the ordering just wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he arrived at the, at the reception of the, of, the, of the establishment and I happened to be standing in... In, in the reception with Dad, and he said, well, I'd, I, I need to speak to, to the person who's ordering the wine. Um, and Dad thought this was very funny, and he just simply pointed to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and he looked at me, and he looked back at my dad, and he said, him? <laughs> and Dad said, Dad said, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's him, <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, "Why have you? Why have you stopped having us as the? You know, we're we're up the road. We're 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 we've had this partnership for so long. Why have you suddenly decided to make us no longer be the house wine?" And I said, "Because you changed the label. I don't like it." <laughs> and he said, "What? <laughs> have you ever tried this wine?" I said, "Oh God, no! I'm only 14." <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> and he, uh, he he looked at Dad, and Dad was quite 
adamant that these were my decisions, not his. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. and he left. So there's there's a number of morals from that story. One is you never judge a book by its label, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but but also I think there's 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 an aspect of um there's a marketing message in that 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 um you know when you when you make changes like that uh, and I'm sure Brown Brothers did but you need to make sure that you're looking after your demographic I'm looking at mm-hmm. you I'm looking at you Budweiser <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah you have an understanding of your customer um and also you know never underestimate a 14 year old they can often be the, the you know the genius in the room <laughs> I forgot it was about the changing of the label so when you mentioned that uh it uh, it it struck a chord with me again what a interesting position to be put in as a 14-year-old to be managing that and then uh, you, what a great sense of humour your dad had to say, uh, well, that's the man here and he's, uh, he's the one doing the job. <laughs> Fantastic. And a um, bit of pressure but it sounds like you uh, like did what you normally do and did it with a smile and, and got into it. Um, so it leads me to ask you, you know, how do you stay motivated in those times where like, this might be, we all have challenges and mm. I, I'm going to talk about mindset with you um, shortly, but before I do, how, what do you do and what you think to stay, to stay, to stay motivated and maybe especially in those challenging times? Yeah. I, we do a lot of study on resilience and, and um, Sharpen actually trains in resilience. I've got, look, John, I've got our book. <laughs> but um, um, I guess the answer to that question is resilience and how um, to define what being resilient is and, and what resilient people do. Um, I think for me, the first the first mental position I always take is that there is never there's no such thing as a problem that can't be solved. Um, and I approach every single issue with that expectation. Now, I might butt in every now and then, sorry, because when I hear something like that, I really need to to either expand on that or, or, or acknowledge you. What a great mindset. There is no problem that can't be solved. So you yeah. are operating in your life with that intention, with that playing. That's yeah. that's that's amazing. Uh, I love that. I'm going to take that on. There's no problem that can't be solved. Sometimes I say a problem shared is a problem halved, but I also like uh, popping in there. Well, there's no problem that can't be solved. Um, great, thank you. No, you're welcome. And look, I, I, you know, the way in which you you solve it is for me part of the journey. Um, and I always take an academic approach to these things. Uh, I I research possible. Um, solutions and I choose one. Um, mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And if that solution doesn't work, then I try the other one and the other one. And and um, if the if the solving of the problem is to is to ignore the problem or to move away from it, then then that's still a solution. So I, I do, yeah. And particularly with my children and my family, I. I, I we just simply say, okay, this is a problem. So what are the options? Which one are we going to choose? Let's enact that and expect that that will solve it. Uh, so I, th- I think there's a lot of time wasted in disasterizing, And I know there's, mm. there's no such words as that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, 
and I think your ability to regulate that. Um, mm. So, so for example, the, the the three the three thing the three things that resilient people have. The number one thing um, is actually an expectation that things will go wrong. That resilient that people that aren't resilient. No, no, no. Have, people okay. that are resilient. Oh right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm glad I clarified that. Yeah, so if yeah, you're resilient, yeah. you've got an understanding that things will go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have to have an understanding that uh, uh, and uh, you can never you can never workshop the problem unless you are aware that they will come and your first reaction is not to throw your arms up in the air or, or, or worse. Your first reaction is okay. Well, problems come and here's one. Um, so that's the the most important thing. The second thing that um, resilient people do is change their focus. Mm-hmm. And I really want to deep dive into this one with you because the focus that you select for yourself has a direct correlation to the way that you feel and your response and your emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you regulate and be much more deliberate about where your focus is, you can actually be extremely resilient. Um, and, and I think um, I think the first thing to say about resilience is that you don't have to... Resilience is not something that happens as a disaster once in a lifetime. Resilience is a fork in the road that happens every day. Um, and I think we do tend to get trapped in that idea that un- unless uh, I've, I've had a major disaster in my life, um, I can't test my resilience or I'm not resilient or I don't know. And I think all of those are wrong because resilience happens to us every day. There are small things that we, we drop a glass on the floor and we get upset about the, the, the glass everywhere. And or do we just mm. simply go, okay, well, that's happened. What do I need to do? There's a problem to be solved. I need to get the vacuum. I need to be careful. I don't step on it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, and I think those sorts of that focus is really, really important. Um, and so when you yeah. say that focused, you mean focusing on uh, getting through the situation or focusing on what kind of things do I need to be saying to myself to uh, rise above this? What, what, do you, what do you mean when you say the focus? Yeah, so there, is the, there are two aspects to focus. There's the focus that you, ha- that you put when something happens. Let's not call it a disaster. Let's just call it a, an, an event. And there is the focus that you have as a general human being. And when your focus is skewered towards negativity, you mm. and and the singularity happens, such as the glass breaking, um, mm. you've already geared yourself to take a negative attitude towards that process. Right. So one of the things, let me give you a really practical example. Um, when I was younger, I used to be a big consumer of talkback radio. Mm-hmm. And the problem with talkback radio is that it, it, it is always negative. Generally speaking, it's about what's wrong with the world, and and that and tomorrow there's a whole set of ten new things that are wrong with the world, and the next day, and the next day. And I made a conscious decision to cut that out of my life, to to refocus around um, uh, around that. And what I found was that I was quite used to having something going on in the background. Um, so I switched it to two things, to music while I work, but also to sports radio, because it's always positive. <laughs> um, with with the occasional um, 
uh, people um, who perhaps aren't. But generally speaking, you can't go mm. wrong with listening to people talking about sport or listening to, to music unless your mm. focus is on music that is specifically designed to, um, to, to be miserable or, or hateful even. Right, right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned about the music because that reminds me to ask you. I've got a Spotify playlist called Merco Motivation and I ask yeah. all my guests, what's a, a song? It doesn't have to be the song, but it could be the song. What, what's your song that you would put on when you want to invoke that feeling of, um, yeah, let's get things done. I want to be more motivated to do this. What, what would the song yeah. be? Yeah, so let me – actually, let, let me take a step back and give you a song for when I need – to solve a problem, to get out of a crisis, um, yeah. I, I have I have a favourite song from Alanis Morissette, who, um, who uh, if there's anyone who's going to kick a door in, it's Alanis. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I'm scared of her, and I've never met her. <laughs> no. um, and and the name of the song is actually the the mantra that I love, which is the only way out is through. Um, right. And I love that because. Often in life, when you've got to face something um, that perhaps you're nervous about or don't even want to face, uh, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid it, and it happens anyway. But I think if you if you face it with that thinking mm. that well, actually, the only way out of this is to damn well go through it, um, yeah. to just plow into it, get it done, and how magnificent it's going to be when I come out the other end and I've fixed it or I've, I've, I've done what I had to do and now I'm getting on with the rest of my life. Um, and, and that's important in so many areas. And that song just solidifies, the way she sings it solidifies that for me. Great. That's going on the uh, Merco <laughs> Motivation playlist. So you said you had two, so that was one. Oh, no, I think what I, what I meant was two types of situations so that's oh, for right. a situation when i need to get through an issue the, the, mm. you specifically asked me about the sort of music that i might put on if i need motivation um i uh yeah the, the, there's so many that that you know having grown up in the 70s and 80s there's some rather embarrassing music that we all, <laughs> we all have to admit to <laughs> um but I, but I think um, I'm going to make a confession for you here. I, I'm actually quite a, I'm actually a Swifty. Dads can be Swifties as well. Um, a Taylor Swift fan, and um, and I think um, uh, there's a number of songs uh, that that she has, which I think are not the songs about her own relationships, but um, uh, particularly the songs around. Um, the Evermore album and the Fearless album, um, really great to just put on and listen to the whole set, uh, and particularly pay attention. I'm a, I'm a lyric attention mm. focuser, yep. uh, not just the music. And the music is is important, but um, I, I love um, I, I love live theatre. I love prose. I love all of that. So so what's actually written in, within the song is just as important for me. Nice. I get you like live theatre, but what's with the prose? <laughs> I was a big fan of I was a big fan of Shakespeare, and um, uh, in my earlier youth days, I directed a number of Shakespeare plays. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, that's showing my lack of uh, my lack of education because I don't know what a pro is. Oh. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought it had another particular meaning, which I knew you didn't mean. But, uh, I didn't. So prose is that is, like a, a Shakespeare piece? Uh, prose is, is anything, literature, poems, sonnets, yeah. plays. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is. This is <laughs> well, I, I love learning, and that's part of the reason we have these discussions on the show. I'm not going to be able to stop now. (laughs) And I know you're you're very well read and obviously very uh, um, educated in academics, so uh, it's uh, no surprise there. Now, look, you uh, marketing, I know you don't hate this term, but you're a marketing guru. You are a super dad, super husband. You're juggling a, a lot of things in your life. You've got a a great attitude towards life. I did, and you touched on it ever so briefly, or you, you mentioned your kids. I'm really interested in there's a lot of parents listening and they might find that their kids have taught them things as well, if not patience, and they might not have taught you patience, <laughs> but they will certainly uh, test them. But is there anything that your kids have taught you in terms of, being great or how to be great or, uh, you know, in that kind of area? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and I think the the answer comes from a step back too because often the way we parent is the way that we were parented uh, and yep. and we either reflect on that and adopt it or we reflect on that and resist it. Uh, so, yeah, I think um, – and I think as you as as the children grow, uh, your parenting style obviously needs to adapt, and it changes. And 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 I'm in the situation now where I, I basically have adults. I'm living with um, adults who don't pay rent, and um, yeah. <laughs> um, and that that situation I think is is really interesting because um, one of the things that that my children are very good at is um, debating and and <laughs> arguing as all of our all of our children are and and I think one of the things that um, I'm probably fifty percent more calmer than I used to be probably as a result of them um, because they have a much more chilled attitude, believe it or not, than, than I did. And mm. I think coming to, to that journey and allowing them to be heard and hear their side of the story um, is really important. And it actually reduces the number of arguments that you have. Uh, mm. Because I think for most people, we just want to be heard, don't we, really? Yeah. We, we, we And we're happy for people to not, accept or even disagree with what we say, but we want to be heard. Mm. And I think that active listening is is really important. Yeah, it's good you mentioned that. And uh, that's uh, something specifically that I'm going through today with my daughter. So it's really nice to hear you say that because that's going to make a difference to me uh, when I next interact with her when she gets home from school. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And, uh, you know, you've helped me in terms of marketing, marketing principles. Uh, and there's some questions that you've asked me in the past when I've wanted to do something uh, personally or professionally. And they're really powerful questions. 
and I might not put them in the same way that you will. So that's why I'm going to ask you to to put them in in the better way. But you've asked me things like, what are you actually trying to achieve? What are the res- what are the what's the problem that you're trying to solve for people? And these kind of questions. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? And and I ask that kind of question because I think we've probably got some aspiring entrepreneurs and professionals looking to use marketing as a tool to achieve their personal and, and business and or business goals. And um, sometimes we overcomplicate things as, as adults, but those questions that you've asked me are, have I found to be really simple, but the thing was I wasn't asking myself those questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I think, yeah, thank, thank you. I, one of the key things about marketing is that it changes so frequently and it it changes according to generations and we have a number in marketing we think of generations as every seven years um, and we divide accordingly so mostly mostly people think about x gen y gen baby boomers and millennials Um, but in marketing we we think much more fractured than that in terms of approximately seven years Um, and each of those age groups need to be marketed to differently but but all of them have one thing in common um, and that is that uh, we call it in marketing the desired outcome or I call it the desired outcome and by that I mean what what do you want your customer to be doing after they've used your product or service um, that's a great question in itself. So simple. It's like, what do you want your customer or yeah. the person you're trying to impact? What do you want them doing after they've used your product or service? Great. So the great example of a really good example of that is some of some of our banking. And I'm not a great fan of the way that banks advertise um, because you can see through it. But but it, it adheres to the principle, and the principle is that um, let's let's have advertising that shows you enjoying swimming in your backyard with the barbecue going and, and your friends around. Let's not talk about the product and whether or not, you know, what the interest rate will be or, or, or whether whether or not you, you have a get out clause and all of those sorts of things that your product might be fabulous at doing uh, is often a complete waste of your, your advertising budget. If you cut straight to the chase and say, this is how you feel, act, the tools and the abilities that you have after you've um, uh, you've used or, or, or um, come across our products and services. So that desired res- that desired state of the customer is really important. I'd sell the dream, I think, is probably the best way um, to put that. Uh, and and I, you know, often what your products have, no matter how much time you spend on them, people actually don't care. They just want the desired product. The other issue, is, the other question I often ask is, what problem are you trying to solve? Um, because all, all all marketing, to my mind, falls into two categories. You, you're either a medicine or a vitamin. And by that, I mean, you are either solving a problem. Somebody's got an an ill or an illness, not literally, but they've got something they want fixed and your product fixes it. That makes you a medicine. A vitamin product is a product that somebody's doing something already, but if they used your product, they would do it so much quicker or so much better or or so much easier than how they're currently doing it. So I think if you think about 
which one of those two categories your product or service falls into, you have much better clarity about the sorts of um, people who might buy your product. And after all, uh, establishing your target market is key. And so many people get that wrong. So yeah, so th those two sections, I'm, I'm really keen for, for people to think very hard about what is the desired result? Of, of the customer and and what category does my product or service fall into? Great, really, yeah, really good advice. I love that too. The, um, the medicine and the vitamin, that's nice and easy to remember as well. And uh, once those questions are answered, then you've got a context to operate in. And I've heard the saying before, the context is decisive. So the context you're operating in propels you forward and um, allows you to make the decisions and take the actions that you need to take based on, on the context you're operating out of. So that's a couple of great questions to, to really work that out. Yeah. I remember talking to you once and you said to me, everything I've done has been successful and I've got no reason to think this won't be either. And I thought that self-belief was really inspiring and that mindset and that thinking. So can you talk a bit more about that? Because I, I think you've got to generate that or that's yeah. or you've you've decided that's that that's how you're going to be. So how is it that you that you are like that and you have that self-belief? So I think it needs to be real. I meet a lot of people who you say, how are you? And they'll say, I'm fantastic. And you just know there's an edge of that that is that is forced deliberately. It's not to say that for everybody, but for often people are. And, I, I, and there are two things that I think you need to... Um, you need to really draw in. And, and John, up front, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the law of attraction. I, I believe that um, what you what you think you materialize. And, mm. um, and I believe that because uh, when you walk into a room and you walk into a room with the expectation um, that, that, uh, that things will go well and that we'll all succeed, um, then you bring that energy into the room. If you walk mm. in, particularly as a leader, if you walk in with the opposite energy, um, then people very quickly and easily fall into that energy um, uh, void that you've created. Mm. So, if if you if it's not false and you genuinely believe that you have the ability to make things work, and mm. you also back that up with there's no problem that can't be solved, um, mm. then then you you by rights can walk into a room and say uh, uh, the expectation is that we'll get this done and this will be successful. The other aspect of that for me is there can't be any room in my thinking for failure because as soon as failure comes in, doubts come in, mm -hmm. and that's not to say that you don't fail, but then that doesn't become a failure. That just becomes another problem that needs to be solved. Right. Um, that, that's all. There is no failure. There's just problems that need to be solved. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if, if you come in expecting... Um, for things to go well and for you to back your own brain to come up with a solution to any problem, then I think that is infectious. And uh, and it's certainly been very successful for me. Mm. Yeah, I can see. And it's uh, infectious as well, which I like. It uh, reminded me when you were talking there that um, it's not a failure. 
I like the mindset of, oh, yeah, that's just another problem I need to solve. Or as uh, Tony Robbins would say, well, I produced a result. It might not be the result I wanted, so I'll take some other actions and produce a different result. It's a, it's a total, it's a yeah. great reframing to, yeah. to empower. Yeah. I, and I'm a huge believer in energy, and I believe that when your energy is up and motivated and expecting success, then success will be attracted to you like a magnet. Um, mm. And there's, John, there's, there's nothing mythical about that. It's not like we don't need to mm. invoke Harry Potter around that. It, 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 <laughs> there's, there's, there's actually there's actually studies that will show that that, that is just simply the case, that mm. if if as a leader you infect the room or you, you give the the vibe the, the the energy that we will succeed here um mm. there's a much higher chance that we will and if we don't as i said before it just becomes another problem we solve but if we just if we start to uh to 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 go, get to the point where we say well that's it this is happening again to me here i go again i can't even find a car park what sort of a day am i going to have um, whereas if you get in the car and you go, right, today's going to go well, I'm going to get every green light and I'm going to get a fabulous car park right at the front um, and there'll probably be a bargain waiting for me and for the product that I really want. Uh, then, then I think that, that to begin with, you've started your day um, much better. And it just reminds me about one of the, the causational scientific effects with resilience to mention to you, and that is gratitude. When you, and this is not hocus pocus at all, it's complete scientifically backed that when you focus, and we talked about focus earlier, when you focus on being grateful for the things that are fantastic in your life, mm. then you actually put yourself in a mindset that makes you more resilient and actually wards off depression. Um and, and it, it, people say that it can be easy to say that, but it, but it's about uh, building that resilience. Mm. And you do that every day. Every day you can get up uh, and you can write, if that's what you do, five things that you're grateful for. Or you can just mm. simply, while you're sitting on the, the train going to work, think about the five things that you're really grateful for. And already your mindset is where it needs to be mm. to bring in more great, more things to be grateful for. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that, Matt. And um, it is something simple that we can do on a daily basis. It doesn't take a lot of time or or effort. I also do it in the evenings because I've heard it programs your subconscious as well. So as I put my head on the pillow, I think of three to five things that uh, I'm grateful for for that day. And um, and it doesn't have to be massive major things it could be you know i'm really grateful that i'm in a warm bed tonight yeah or that uh i ate a meal or that i i've i've got my health so i can actually walk to the kitchen if i need to and things like that because there's there's people out, out there that that don't aren't able to do that now they can be grateful um in other ways as well that's what i mean everyone can be grateful for for whatever situation that they're in but uh, I just feel like sometimes people might think they've got to be major things. I'm so grateful that I got this promotion at work <laughs> yes. and whatnot, and I hope you do, and I hope you did. <laughs> yes. But they're not uh, regular occurrences, um, so and so you don't need to wait. And um, and I love uh, that. And you mentioned there's some uh, studies, and I know you're big on research, and that's uh, that is so awesome. So they're not just um, 
opinions that aren't backed by data and stuff like that. So is there anything you can tell us about the research? Well, I suppose you already have, I know, but is there, is there anything else? So um, one of the biggest uh, researchers into this area, resilience um, and gratitude, is a study by Gloria and Steinhardt, um, who are American researchers, 2016. Um, I'll provide you the details if you like. But they, if you really want to deep dive into that causal relationship between resilience mm. and gratitude, that mm. that's a great one. Um, so they talk about res, um, gratitude fosters coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that's absolutely critical. Um uh, another one is McCanley's Andrews and Volatani, who are twenty eighteen. Who I'll give you, um, if you, if your readers are interested, some some cross references for that as well. Um, so the, the, there are some really good studies that that look at this uh, relationship between gratitude and and resilience. And um, I, I think one of the, the probably the thing to say about it is that um, it gives you problem-solving capabilities it gives um it gives you things things like forgiveness and empathy john are really really important Mm. to to being resilient um and why is resilience so important Um, because in your daily life and in the workplace you're going to face problems that need solving and uh, having the mindset that is so used to being in a position to be able to solve issues and and cope with things when they go south um, is really really important. Uh, and there's one last thing that that I I want to tell you specifically about resilience, and that is that one of the key things that highly resilient people do is they say to themselves, "What I'm doing right now is it harming or is it helping me?" And if it's harming me, stop it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that can be, if I were to give you some examples of that, that that, that can be um, qu- quite often after a, a funeral, for example, it might be nice to go through some old photographs um, and, and remember that person. But if those photographs you're still looking through weeks and months later and they're bringing you sadness you're probably now at a point where that activity is harming you rather than helping you. And and that is the point at which you can improve your own resilience and not fading into that depression around loss of a loved one, but by simply saying, it's time to put that away. Mm. Um, and I, th- I think if we, and, and I can give you an example in the workplace, if you're around the water cooler and you're gossiping about a colleague, <laughs> is, that, is that harming or is that helping you? The chances are it's probably harming you. And um, resilient people are always asking themselves that question, is what I'm doing right now harming or helping me? And if it's harming me, change it up. Great. I love that that question because you can ask yourself that with your thoughts. What I'm thinking now, is that harming or helping Uh, or and things that you're doing? What I'm doing right now, is that harming or helping me? Uh, I'm upset that I got cut off in traffic and I'm angry. Is that harming or helping me? Well, that's not helping me. So what a great question to be able to ask yourself to bring you back to a mindset of um, greatness and positivity. 
just by asking simple questions. Yeah, and, and none of these tools that we talk about, John, are helpful unless they can be done quickly and simply. Um, and that's what I've learned being a trainer over many, many years. It's useless giving somebody 20 processes to get to a place because mm. they'll forget or they'll get, they'll get process tired by the time they get there. Um, so the simple, the simple aspects of, of just asking that question and, mm. and, and paying attention to your focus really keenly. Um, mm. You know, are you deep diving into bad stories about mushroom poisoning or <laughs> um, mm-hmm. are you really, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're going down rabbit holes of, of that algorithms are sending you down and um, is that harming or, or helping you? Uh, and yeah. do you need to change your focus? And when you change your focus to things that are more positive, it's, it's mm-hmm. not ignoring what's going on in the world. It's looking after your mental health. Yeah. And... Um... I hear you. One of the things we say on the show is, uh, you know, be careful and mindful of who you're hanging around with uh, because they can have an influence on your thoughts and actions as well. So I can really hear a bit of that in what you're saying. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of resilience, I know, and it's great that you've spoken about some of these really simple things that we can do. Now, I know you've created some training around resilience and I'd love to hear more about that. We have, and um, the uh, I, I held it up before. I probably didn't hold it up well enough. <laughs> but um, um, we we uh, we our organisation are, are marketers and trainers, uh, and one of the things that we do is um, particularly post pandemic is there are a number of organizations that don't have the resources that they once had uh, and the ability to deal with things such as um, lower budgeting um, programs that need to be stopped because they, they can't continue um, the, even the the, the the, the terrible event of having to um, uh, to lay off staff, Any, anything that requires you uh, as a manager and as a leader uh, to have resilience um, on a daily basis, I think is is a gift that that, that can be really useful. So we, we actually developed this program um, from demand. It was um, it, it wasn't like we decided that that we needed to do this because we had a number of other programs around leadership that we were doing. Um, this has come from demand and and, uh, um, about two years ago I did a deep dive on researching this and we've come up with this this, what I think is a really fabulous uh, six um, two-hour sessions that we usually do uh, in in person in in an organization or indeed we can do it online it's um, Mm. completely up to uh, to the person but it look it does what it strikes me, John, is that um, we tend to do this to a lot of, or for a lot of large organisations, and um, and I think expense is perhaps a barrier to, to that to this sort of high level training um, that um, that can really help an organisation. And I think uh, it, coupled with that is uh, a need for an incentive for um, more middle-sized and smaller organizations to, to take up this sort of training. And I'm, I'm really keen to, to let people in on um, a couple of secrets, and that is uh, how, how indeed you can um, uh, 
you can train your staff to be more resilient, but also um, how you can make sure that there's uh, um, an, enough customers coming through the door to make sure that you can pay for that uh, for that training. So, so we have. Um, I would like to focus, and and the the. The, my colleagues and partners are going to kill me for this. Uh, and I didn't consult them because I knew I'd be told no. Uh, <laughs> but, but I would like to, to offer um, any organisation, uh, particularly those in the middle bracket, so if you have between 10 and 200 employees, um, because most of the organisations that we deal with have 2,000 plus. So um, it, it's a different different category. So those organizations that sit in the middle, we'd be very keen if they um, if they would like to uh, undertake our Resilience uh, X program that we would provide, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to say it, John, but a month's worth of, of um, LinkedIn advertising or LinkedIn um, marketing for that particular organization as a, as a part of um, as a part of helping them in the, the two areas that that we work in. Now, I, I think I mentioned to you before that that would that would be up to ten k, which again, um, I'm going to get smashed for it. But we we um, we don't work with a lot of organisations because we just work so uh, in such detail with the organisations that we do um, that um, that that would be a big commitment from us. But if that can help a couple of organisations that that um that that are in those categories then then that would be that would be great for us as well i'd love to uh put your contact details in the show notes so people can uh, contact you directly on that matt it sounds like a great offer and a generous offer i appreciate you doing that for for our audience and it's called resilience x isn't it it's called Um, resilience when you were first talking about it it sounded like your old um training like the X training <laughs> is there uh, apart from it being pretty cool is there any uh, um, reason behind the X oh, just because I like the X files <laughs> the truth is out there the truth is out there yeah no look I, I think one of the things to say about this particular um, training is that it's it's all deeply based in in psychology so the, the mm. research we we don't train people things that we think um, they should know, we, we make sure that it's all scientifically backed and that everything is is a deep dive in research. And, and part of the research around this is with a very new aspect of what's called positive psychology. So the positive psychology movement started five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and the basis is that um, you expect things to go well, not you expect things to go badly and then you improve um, or you try and struggle through that mindset. And positive psychology is probably what a, a great slice of psychologists are now adopting as the way that they help people. Uh, and and we think that that is just fantastic uh, methodology for teaching resilience. Thanks, Matt. And uh... Can you leave our audience with a final piece of advice or a mantra that they can carry with them on their own journey towards greatness and, and being great? Yeah, I, I, I can. I, I think one of the things about what we've been talking about is um, why, why do you need to be resilient? And we talked about the connection between resilience and gratitude. There's actually another connection, and that is resilience and innovation. And I think 
if you want to be innovative in both your personal life and your um, your working life, you need to take risks. And in order to take risks, you need to expect failure. But in order to be resilient and come back from failure, you need to be grateful um, and you need to have the mindset that you can, um, that, that there are always, whatever comes your way, you can you can deal with it and whatever comes your way is a problem that can be solved. So from a working perspective, I encourage you to be innovative. I encourage you to take risks and I encourage you to um, expect problems uh, but I also encourage you to um, to set yourself up in a mindset that will cope with those and go one step further and solve all of those problems as they come. Thank you. That is uh, great for our audience to hear and an uh, awesome way to finish. I can't thank you enough for being on the show, imparting your words of wisdom. I think we could have so many other topics that we could um, talk about. Love to have you back on the show another time. And it's really been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, John. Another incredible episode of Rise and Thrive Conversations for Greatness. I hope this conversation has ignited a fire within you, inspiring you to take bold steps towards your own path of greatness. And guess what? The journey doesn't end here. There's so much more to explore, learn and achieve. So if you're hungry for more insights, more inspiration and more strategies to fuel your personal and professional greatness, get ready because the next episode is just around the corner. Every Tuesday to be precise, where we'll continue to unravel the secrets to unlocking your extraordinary potential. Don't miss out on the chance to keep rising and thriving with us. Hit the subscribe button and you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And remember, greatness is not a destination. It's a continuous journey, so let's embark on it together. Thank you so much for being part of the Rise and Thrive community. It means so much to me that you're listening. And my wish for you is that you get so much out of doing so. Keep reaching for the stars, keep pushing your boundaries, and keep embracing the challenges that come your way, because that's how we truly grow. Stay tuned, stay motivated, and get ready to rise and thrive. If you're finding value from our conversations, Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Together, we can create a ripple effect of positivity, optimism, and positive change. Keep shining brightly. Your greatness knows no bounds. And remember, be great and stay awesome.